Hello. Um, I've, I've been up to Bradley a couple of times, so it's great to be back. Um, I, like Andy said, so I go to the Cotton site. I live down in St. Werbergs, and I work as a trainee GP. So I work uh, over in Newport, so I drive over the bridge every day. So I come up this way. And um, at the moment, I'm working in dermatology. Um, you tend to get two responses to that. One is, my, if you're like my wife, and she pulls this face... Uh, or if you're really lucky, then someone will be like, dermatology, that's skin, right? I've got this rash. <laughs> and I thought that was like a joke. I thought people didn't actually, weren't going to do that, because it's sort of like the equivalent of finding your mate who's a structural engineer and then showing them pictures of your house um, that you're drawing. And you're like, how's that look? What are the, what are the, what are the, what are the sums like? Are they okay? Um, but that aside, um, we do lots of different stuff, but one of the things we do is we look after or we see people who might have skin cancer. So um, things that GPs or um, nurse practitioners or people are worried about, they're referring to our department, and we have something called a see and treat clinic, which does what it says on the tin. You come in, and we'll have a look at whatever's on, on the skin, and then if we're worried about it, then um, we talk. I normally talk to my boss, who's a consultant, who's um, seen a bit more, and I say, oh, I'm a bit worried about this. She said, no, that's fine. <laughs> send, them, send them home. Or they'll say, oh, no, that is that we are worried about that. And then on the same morning... We've got another team who can remove lesions for a biopsy or send it off to the lab. And this was happening a couple of weeks ago. Um, there was an older chap, and he had this lesion on the side of his neck. And I have no idea how it took him this long to see us, because it was the size of a golf ball. It was massive. And um, we decided that it needed to come out. And one of the nurse specialists was doing it. Um, she's amazing. And um, so this old, old fellow, he was in his 80s, I was sitting there, and um, she'd put some local anaesthetic in it and cut this thing out. It was, too, it was too big to fit in the pot that went off to the lab, so we had to get a special pot to send it off. And uh, he was falling asleep whilst we were doing it. He was, like, he was just so relaxed. Um, and this, third, this um, specialist nurse, um, as we kind of took it off and put it in this pot, this massive hole in the side of his neck. And I was like, I was totally overwhelmed by it. I was like, oh gosh, how are you going to close that? But luckily, he's an older chap, so he's got a bit of spare skin. Um, <laughs> and uh, she closed it beautifully. It was like this, this line in, in, in line with his jaw. Um, and hopefully, if it heals well, he'll have this faint line just running just underneath his jaw with 14 little lines going across it. But he'll always have that scar. And we always, we carry scars around, don't we? And it, scars are funny, aren't they? Because we, we always have stories. So if someone talks about a scar, then you have yours. Do you know what I mean? You always go, well, I've got this one, and I've got this one, and I've got this one. And the stories tend to become more elaborate as you go on, as the scar fades. You, you, you embellish your story to make it better. Um, and I think that's true in our spiritual walk as well. I think we carry scars of marks of the life that we've led, the journey that we've carried. And sometimes they are like a faint line, and sometimes they're not. Um, and that can be through a variety of things, can't it? It can be through relationship breakdown or um, financial pressure or trouble at work or um, problems with sin, besetting sin. Um, or 
just plans that you had, dreams that you had, ministries that you'd kind of sewn into, you were like, this is it, this is what's going to happen. Oh, I know this is what's going to happen. And then, and then it doesn't happen. And you have this moment, don't you, where you kind of turn around and you look at God and you go, I, I, this, wasn't, this wasn't what I planned. This wasn't what I had scheduled in my five-year plan. Receiving that wound then wasn't, that's not what I had planned. And it's almost like we're on this boat and we imagine when we get on the boat that the journey is going to be a bit like this. We're like, oh yeah, so we might, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll poodle out into the bay and then maybe a day or two later I might pull up one sail uh, if I can, you know, if I, if I can be bothered. And the view will be like that, be nice and calm, it'll be like pinky sunsets. Someone might bring me a mojito and there'll be a hammock. It'll be lovely. And actually, in reality, what we find is it looks a bit like this. Uh, um, <laughs> and it's not that it, it rains, but it pours, doesn't it? And you just think, this is, not, this is not how I imagine my life to look. And you're looking out underneath the thing, and you can't, you can't see over two waves. Um, and so today, I want to talk about scars, spiritual scars, and also that we can look we can look back. So the two main things I want to talk about is one is to reframe the scars that we've already sustained, to put them in the context of, of why we suffer, why we're persecuted. And secondly, um, to instill a confident and expectant hope of healing. So when we look at the scars that we've got, we can say, well, oh, that's why. That's why that's happened. And maybe not the exact detail. I can't tell you exactly why this relationship broke down or this dream that you had hasn't been fulfilled yet. Um, but I can tell you the context of it is that it's because we're, we're Jesus followers. So we live like Jesus did. Um, and as we'll come to later, um, Jesus had scars. But So that, that's where we're going. I like to know a bit for structure. So we're, we're, we're going to talk about the, the scars that we have, reframing those, and then talk about hope. Um, because I, I, I believe that the scars that we have and the wounds that we've sustained are evidence of our adoption into the family of God and the cruciform life. Let, let me just pray before we dig into some scripture. So bow your heads or don't bow your heads, do what you like. Uh, Father, thank you so much for all that you give us. Jesus, thank you that you took on humanity for each one of us, spirit that you have dwelled with us and you're dwelling with us right now, that you're inside of each one of us who's accepted you. We thank you that you love us, that you, you pursue us even inside of our rebellion and that where you are, there is freedom. And I pray that today that we would hear from you clearly, that we get a, a fresh revelation of who you are and help us to recapture the wonder of your affection for us. And I pray that we would again come to your cross and we would kneel and we would unburden ourselves and give these things back to you so that we would know the truth of a, an easy yoke and deep healing. Amen. Okay, if you've got paper Bibles, then we're in 2 Corinthians 4. If not, then it's going to come up on the screen. 
So this is 2 Corinthians 4, 6, sort of 6, 6 to 12. Yeah, 6 to 12. When I say sort of, it is. Uh, <laughs> sort of 6. Yeah, it is 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. I always find if I read scripture, the first time I read it, it sort of just flies in and out. So I'm going to read it again. But as we go through, we'll just chew on it. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Notice that Paul here, when he's talking to the Corinthians, makes a nod to Genesis. So in Genesis, when God creates everything, he starts with light. And so Paul's saying, God has let light shine in you. And that is a defining first moment of God's work in us, is that he decides that darkness has no more dominion over you. So when you've, when you've taken that moment, you've seen Jesus for who he is, and you say, yeah, that's, that's who I'm following, that's who I'm interested in, the, the darkness is expelled and the light comes. So it's a new creation. And that's not alien to Paul's language, is it? We know that. He talks about new creations. So there's, there's the light shining in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay? Why a jar of clay? I mean, if I had something valuable, I wouldn't be putting it in a jar of clay. Do you know what I mean? You're like, a uh, bank, I think. Or maybe some sort of safe. Not something like that, that if you drop, which I'm liable to drop, I drop things, um, you're not going to put it in a jar of clay, are you? But God did. Why didn't he make it out of granite or metal or something sturdy? No, he's made us out of clay. And Paul says it's to demonstrate the dependence that we have on, on, on his power. So we are made, when we get frustrated with ourselves that we fail and that we're frail and that we're brittle, that wasn't by mistake. It's not a coincidence that God made us brittle and frail and fragile because he made us like that so that we would have to depend on him. It was written into the, the code of creation. And that's demonstrated by how Jesus models humanity. And we know that because in Philippians 2, it says, who being in very nature, this is Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and found himself in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So you're not the only jar of clay. We're all jars of clay. And then Jesus, when he took on humanity, 
became a jar of clay. So that it would demonstrate the source of the power that dwells inside of us. So that when there are cracks, people can see through the cracks and see the treasure. They can see the power that resides inside of you. They can see that light that God brought to expel the darkness. And then, in some ways, Paul is, is drilling home the point when he says, we are hard-pressed. This is almost like a jar of clay chat, isn't it? We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And I think that, that is an existence that we can chime with. If, you, if I said to anyone here, it's ubiquitous, the, the wounds that we carry, the suffering that we endure. And so Paul is saying, this is what we have been promised. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And that's what it looks like to carry around the death of Jesus inside of us. But I think the crucial thing to remember in this is that our suffering and our wounds does not dictate the affection that God has for us. Because I think often when we suffer, we can say, this is a sign that God doesn't love me. We say, oh, this must mean that God doesn't love me because of this, because of this, because of this. I had this dream and I was convinced it was from God, but it hasn't happened. So maybe he doesn't love me. We were, um, this week in small group, we were reading through John 3, and we were loving, well, I mean, it's a great passage, isn't it? But the 3.17 was the bit that I latched onto this week, which says, For God did not send his Son in the world, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Our cruciform life, our scars, are not a sign or a measure or a barometer of God's affection for us. Because he has not come to condemn us. We know that Romans 8, there is now, therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And John 8, when the woman who's caught in adultery, minutes, hours before she's been in adultery, she comes to Jesus, to a rabbi, expecting to be condoned to death, to be stoned. And then he draws up a protection around her in his own Jesus way. He does that thing that you're like, what? how have you done that? There's all these angry men and they all just walk off one by one. I don't know if you've ever seen like angry groups of men, mostly at sporting events, but can you imagine just watching them like just go off one by one? And he does that and then he stands up at the end and he says, women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And so that same Jesus stands up and looks at us and says, has no one condemned you? Because I'm the creator of the universe and I don't. So we must, we must separate our experience of suffering from our knowledge of the affection of God. They can't, they can't be interlinked because then when we're in that boat and it's all raining and we can't see anywhere, um, we think that Jesus isn't there and Jesus is sitting in the back of the boat. He's right there. He's like, I'm right here. And you're just looking at me like, I can't see anything. Where are we going? And he's there. He's right there with you. And that's the promise. That not everyone is against you. Because Jesus is with you. 
Jesus loves you. His spirit dwells inside of you. The Father chose you before the beginning of time. He knit you together in, his mother, in your mother's womb. And he, knew, he knows exactly what you're facing. So that reframes how we see our injuries, doesn't it? Because we look back and we go, okay, so we're living, we've been adopted into the family of God. We're called to take up our cross every day. We are going to be, going to go through trials, but we're promised that Christ is there with us, that we're hid in Christ. And so I think today, now, there are, parts of our history that we look back with regret and we think that wasn't a good time in my life and we get frustrated with God that that this turned out like this or this turned out like this and my encouragement is that the wounds that we have the scars that we have the wounds that we've sustained our evidence of our adoption into the family of God and our journeying of the cruciform life. Let's flip to John 20, 24 to 29. So this is point two. This is about having a, a confident hope. Now Thomas, this is from verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. They might have said it more excited than that. We've seen the Lord. We've seen him. He's alive. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, rock on, uh, and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What I love about this is that if we look back to the cross, <clears throat> the crucifixion, you look at the you you look upward to Jesus, who's nailed on the cross, and you look at his wounds, and they are a sign, a human sign of failure of defeat, of sorrow, of suffering, of betrayal, of injustice. And he's there hanging on the cross. And then fast forward on to this passage. And what were they then? They were a demonstration of victory and triumph. So he turns up to Thomas and he says, look, I have overcome isn't that a transition from that moment when you look on the cross and all his disciples run away? Only the women really are left. Girl power. And they stand at the foot of the cross and they say, and they're, they're, 
filled with sorrow. And the disciples think, that's it, we're done. This is gone, this is too far. And then what happens? Well, time passes and the spirit moves. And Jesus is torn from the grave and is resurrected. And then the wounds become evidence of victory. So that which was a sign of defeat and triumph becomes a, a, a sign of defeat and loss and failure becomes a sign of victory and triumph. And in some ways, I, that's true of all wounds and scars, that, that time passes and they change. I was knocked off my bike. I was cycling down White Ladies Road uh, in 2010 and uh, there was a recycling truck coming across the road and didn't see me. I can't remember it. I'm just piecing it together. But I... Um, I've got quite a hard head, and I was wearing a helmet. Uh, helmets, woo. And uh, I broke his windscreen with my head. Um, and then I landed on the road on the side of my face and then my body. And um, my parents are here, so they, uh, they can verify this. But my father actually said that I resembled an orc. Um, so time passes, and things change, don't they? Your, your wounds change. You, you, there's healing that happens. And I think um, sometimes we can think with, sometimes we can wish that our wounds, our scars would go away, that they'd disappear, that they'd be gone. But that's, that's not how it works in the economy of heaven. Because if, if you think about Jesus, not only has he, has he used it to, to encourage and comfort Thomas, but also in Revelation 5, 6, let me just make sure I get this. You don't want to peep paraphrase. Uh, I'm liable to paraphrase. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Notice the lamb at the end of time, this is Jesus, looks as if he'd been slain. His scars are still there. But they have changed from being evidence of loss and failure to being evidence of triumph and glory. And so that's my thought now is that can we live in that expectant confident hope that our wounds can be transformed into something incredible and powerful because if you've taken that opportunity to turn to Jesus and say I trust you I believe in you then you've transitioned and like Jamie said you've you've been taken from death to life you've been taken from darkness to light and we're called to abundant life, and we're called to run. We're not called to walk. We're called to run the race. And we're not called just to survive. We're not called just to crawl over the line. Oh, I'm going to make it. But we're called to thrive. We're called to abundant life. We're called to shine like stars in the sky. So what if our stumbles are... Falls are not to be obliterated, but to be remembered. What if these mistakes and strongholds that, that we've journeyed through 
And not something to be carried and tried to be forgotten, but something to be displayed as evidence of the goodness of God, of his power in our lives. So I just thought we could bow our heads and pray. Do you want to come on? And just have a thought about whether there's anything in your life that those scars that you wish that had gone, you just wish that they'd disappear. Or maybe you're like my man in the clinic who's just got this big hole in his neck and he's just waiting for someone to sew it up. Because God can do that. And we know that with Jesus, it took three days. That's not very long for fatal injuries. Three days in the work of the Spirit. But also we know that God can work in an instant as well. He doesn't have to take three days, although sometimes he takes years because he wants to. But we're okay with that. So just bow your heads and we're just going to listen to God for a little bit. Jesus, we thank you that you're our lamb that was slain. And that just as you stood in front of Thomas, you stand in front of us. And say that you love us. And just as you were healed by the Spirit, Spirit, that you can heal us. Of anything that we carry. And leave just a faint line of evidence of your healing and your transformative power. And Spirit, just as we're here now, I pray that you would be highlighting to us areas that we can bring to you now and say, God, I I believe, I believe that you're a healing God, a God of wholeness, you would help us to throw off every weight that entangles in Jesus mighty name and everybody said Amen